Welcome to today's episode on Life in the Front Office. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman, along with my co-host, Andy Dolich. And our guest today is Jason Pearl uh, with the San Francisco Giants. Jason's had a long career with the Giants. Andy's known him for just a little bit of time. And I'm going to start this episode off by putting Andy on the spot. We all know Andy is a big mascot logo fan. Um, Andy, the alma mater of Jason Pearl uh, technically has what kind of mascot? Oh, now uh, that would assume that I knew where Jason graduated from. And I, Jason, welcome to the podcast. uh, my, my to you in light. I well, first I'm I'm gonna try not to be offended here by Andy not knowing that much about <laughs> me because your intro, uh, I've known Andy for the majority of my uh, lengthy career. So, uh, Andy should know that I uh, I went to school in upstate New York at Cornell University. Oh, Cornell University. Well, at one time, Cornell was the Big Red, or maybe that's Colgate. Anyway, um, they have a, both have a C in them. <laughs> um, Cornell is the better academic school, and I don't just say that because any school that's named after a toothpaste cannot really be taken seriously. Um, and Cornell has the finest hotel management school on the face of the globe, which I don't know if, Jason, were you ever a part of that? I unfortunately, um, it was not a hotel-y. Okay. Um, you were right uh, about the big red, but I think Jake, oh. Jake may be getting to something different. Am I right, Jake? Oh, so uh, was right. there a secondary? I'm right. A secondary? So I did, well, I did a little digging, and it's actually called Touchdown. And technically, Cornell does not have an official mascot. They are the Big Red is the unofficial mascot. So, you know, just the fact of the day. But, um, Jason. Wait, 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 wait. Yeah. A, a prestigious Ivy League institution. It's, it, it's, uh, does not have an official mascot. Google said that Big Red is the unofficial mascot. Well, I, I don't I don't know official or unofficial. It's the Cornell Big Red, much like it's Stanford Cardinal. Uh, but the the mascot or the you know I guess the characterization is a bear. There is a bear that is considered the mascot. But there's ne- never been the Cornell Bears. It's the Cornell Go Big Red. Um, but for some reason, there's a bear that, that dances around. I am I am apologizing to you on air because. Probably what happened is anyone who attends and graduates from an Ivy League school, when I talk to them, it probably just disappears, having gone to a mid-level, easy-to-get-into school like American University (laughs) at that time. At that time, I could not get in today. Um, uh, Yeah, Ivy League, like, yikes. How do you even interrelate with somebody who went to an Ivy League school? I, I, if I had known this was the topic, I would have prepared a little bit better. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, intelligence and big money. That's all I just <laughs> sort of come out with. I, and I did not go on a, on a Rowan scholarship, so I'll put that out there, too. Well, Jason, Jason there's, no, there's no Bears uh, as the mascot for the San Francisco Giants, I don't think. Uh, am, I, am I correct on that? 
you, you... Well, let me jump in, Jake. <laughs> let me jump in and interrupt uh, for the fourth time in the first four and a half minutes. Um, there was a recent piece in, I think, the San Francisco Chronicle, and the Giants have had two wonderful mascots, uh, even though the Giants are relatively a non-mascot type team. But um, in the quality sense of humor, they had a seal, right, currently, Lou Seal? That's correct. And to me, one of the greatest anti-mascots in the history of sport. So, Jason, can you talk a moment about that alternative mascot and how he interrelates to Lucille? Because they're both, I think you could say they're both creatures of the sea. <laughs> they, are, they are definitely both creatures of the sea. Uh, I, I, the history of, and, and you'd have to talk to your dear friend, Pat Gallagher, because he is the inventor of the previous mascot, which was an anti-mascot, the first anti-mascot that I think was ever created. I think the, the feeling was much like Ivy League educated uh, people, the, the Giants fans felt like they were above certain things and that Giants fans were above the idea of having their own mascot. So the concept of a mascot that people could hate was developed by Pat and became a cult hero. The, the crazy crab was uh, introduced in the late eighties to Giants fans to, uh, to boo and throw things at and uh, generally, generally disagree with. Um, and uh, he was retired shortly thereafter, but he has achieved the status of cult hero and he does come back to uh, haunt Oracle park on occasion and interact with our current mascot uh, who is a seal, and we've had the current mascot since the mid '90s, a seal. So, right, and seals, and if I remember correctly, Jake, this is information that the listeners are probably writing down 100%. in their life in the front office. Do you know this? Did you know this story at all? I, I did know about the crab. I did know about the crab. Okay, Pat, so... Pat has talked about it at some point on an episode on Life in the Front Office. Okay. All right, we'll have to go back to that episode. Um, I believe it was a Dungeness crab, if I am correct, which is a delicacy here in the Bay Area. And John Crawford, yes. who voiced the crab and played the crab on some times, it was one of the greatest copywriters in all of advertising. And, you know, the, John Crawford has the unique double header. He helped work on the Billy Ball campaign for the A's and created a Hall of Fame anti-establishment mascot, Crazy Crab. Um, I would urge all the listeners to go to YouTube or whatever and take a shot at Crazy Crab. You will smile, right, no Jason? Doubt. You will smile. No doubt. And then when you get to Oracle Park, you'll be able to see the uh, Crazy Crab outfit, uh, which is enshrined in our very small uh, museum on the, uh, on, the, on the club level at the ballpark. It's pretty cool. And that's, that's, a great, that, that's a great segue because I was talking this morning with somebody about ballparks and you saw the transformation from Candlestick Park, which, you know, had the slings and arrows of outrageous fortune directed to it for decades. And, and now it's sort of hard to believe this would have been or will be the 21st year of now Oracle, which is hard for me to say. Is it 21 or 22? It would be the 21st season. Year. So we actually, 
would be celebrating a campaign that we called uh, 20 at 24, uh, 24 being 24 Willie Mays Plaza. Uh, so we were celebrating our 20th anniversary this in 2020. Wow. So the story of the move from Candlestick and, you know, Mark Twain, the great baseball fan said, you know, the uh, coldest summer or the coldest winter he ever spent was a summer in San Francisco. Um, and that didn't work out so well for the Giants because they played in the summer. And fans would see those spiffy 49ers winning championships when it was 75 degrees in October and November. And then the howling winds would show up sometime in June and July. The transition and what your team and the whole concept of teamwork, what your team did in building at that time Pac Bell Park, um, what stands out to you in making that park literally one of the best in all of fandom in any sport? Well, that, that is a broad question, Andy. I mean, there's so many things that I would point to. I mean, learnings that we got, what not to do uh, in terms of Candlestick Park and uh, learnings that we got from uh, the, 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 the teams and ballparks that were created just in front of us. And I think Camden, Yards was the first of the retro style ballparks and then Jacobs and then Coors. And we got to learn a ton from seeing what they did in terms of creating an intimate old style facility was number one on our list. And, um, you know, and then given the um, being in San Francisco and having the views, the benefit of the views that we had, um, you know, positioning the ballpark in a way that that captured those views was incredibly important. Um, and then, you know, you're right about the weather, which, um, you know, the number one thing that we wanted to do now, it's still San Francisco and it's still going to be cold, but the weather in China Basin is, is uh, much different than the weather uh, down at Candlestick Point. And the positioning of the ballpark um, was just by doing some wind suffer that same uh, fate as Candlestick swirling hot dog wrappers and hats flying off of pitchers and that kind of, you know, mayhem. So we turned the ballpark um, in a way where the wind coming from the coast would hit the backs of the ballpark and swirl around the side of the ballpark. So um, a couple of things that I touched upon there. One is intimacy, which having great view of the field, views of the field from every seat in the ballpark and being close to the action. Two, having views from the ballpark to the surrounding beauty of the Bay Area and three, protecting it from uh, the weather were, I would say, three very important things for us from the get-go. Now, Jason, as, yeah. as, as, you, yeah. as you talk about the ballpark piece, I mean, Andy, I, I'd be curious to know how many of the 30 you've been to. Uh, I'm at 25, and I'm not just saying this because Jason's on the podcast, but it's in, you know, Oracle Park's in my, in my top three or four ballparks that I've ever been to, and it's because of the fan experience, right? You can... You can only control so much on the field from year to year. Obviously, you guys had a great run of those three championships. Um, but the fan experience, Andy, am, am I right? Yes, and we've talked about it before. I believe that these 
incredible facilities, whether they're an indoor venue, a football stadium, or a ballpark, um, if they don't have a heart and soul, they don't qualify. And people look at me like, what are you talking about? It's metal, it's glass, it's concrete, it's, what are you, nuts? And you look at stadiums that now are costing up to $5 billion, uh, the, the Joint Use Football Stadium in Inglewood, um, and arenas that cost a billion and a half, like uh, Jason's neighbor, Chase Center, um, for the Warriors. But what the Giants did and, and what they learned, and it's not uh, an easy goal and objective, they put a heart and soul in that ballpark, as several others have done. And that's what they keep working to improve, where some other venues are just sort of a mass of that construction material. And short of their team being great, and winning games, you wouldn't know what city you're in. When you go into Oracle Park, there's no doubt that you were in San Francisco. Jason, it, from, a, from a fan experience perspective, what are some of the things that you guys are trying to do on a year-to-year -year basis to evolve the fan experience, um, to enhance it, and ultimately you know, try and keep um, – you know, any fan, obviously you have your season ticket holders, right, that, that are coming for the Giants, but San Francisco is also somewhat of a tur tourism destination in which there's plenty of fans coming from all over to watch uh, their team play the Giants in that ballpark, and you want them to come back eventually as well. Oh, right? 100%. I mean, I, I think Andy nailed it too. I mean, look, we're blessed with the location. I think we did a really good job thinking about building a structure that was visually appealing um, and, and, and had great access, but your point, Jake is spot on. Um, if we were going to appeal to just the hardcore baseball fans, um, we would be seeing, you know, five to 10,000 people per game. And so we had to design a facility and come up with a way to engage our fans that appealed to, um, people who were moderate baseball fans, but en enjoyed an event experience. It starts with customer service. I should say it probably starts and ends with customer service, um, like most things, which is people feel welcome, um, respected, um, that, you know, they're heard. Uh, those things are critically important. But then we were looking at all aspects of an entertainment experience and, you know, for sports in, in particular, which is, you know, food and uh, visual effects, the type of scoreboard, the type of music that we offer at, at, at Oracle Park. Um, is tremendously important. And, and you hit upon the, the fan experience. Well, um, you know, we're 20 years in. I think we have been ranked number one or number two in terms of fan experience in every single year, um, which is a, a tremendous accomplishment for the organization and something that we work on every, uh, every year to make sure that we are improving and meeting our fans where, where, where they're coming to us from. And um, that speaks to sort of how we evolved our, our, our digital experience. And we had the, the, the benefit of having Pacific Bell slash SBC slash AT&T as our naming rights partner for the first 20 years of the ballpark. Um, and with that support, we were able to create a super robust network that enabled us to be able to provide Wi-Fi and a digital experience 
for fans that was unmatched across professional sports so that we were able to do things with social media um, that other teams couldn't do. We were able to deliver um, different types of content. We were able to allow our fans to share that content with their networks quickly and easily um, ahead of the curve. And, and that was tremendously important for us. And, and, and that's from like a revenue perspective, from a partnership perspective, all, all the departments that you help oversee and manage from, from a fan experience, revenue, um, et cetera, down the line, how do those all intertwine? And then, you know, you talked about the social, the digital experience. I mean, that's got to also be able to help your partnership team go out and sell different assets that maybe some teams aren't able to sell to your point being able to do that with with the infrastructure yeah i mean look it's sort of uh, the chicken and the egg a little bit when you talk about revenue which is you try to design a an organization a venue and experience that delivers to the consumer and then the rest should fall into place from revenue perspective and then it's up to us to 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 leverage that engagement with our fans to drive incremental dollars and and do it in unique ways. And I think, you, yeah, you're, you're right. With our network and our ability to engage um, people with their devices has given us a, a leg up when it comes to activating partnerships and, and doing some unique things with, 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 with our partners in the ballpark. So we'll come back to the current day. Um, but what we did leave out when, you, uh, when we were talking about Big Red, uh, the university with no nickname, and I, I almost <laughs> cried. Um, give us a, a quick uh, full speed to how you went from Big Red to being a big deal with the Giants. Oh, geez. Um, well, I, I guess, you know, like, like many um, kids thinking about graduating college, what, what they were going to do next, I... You know, I started out in college thinking I was going to be a doctor, and then I met this this course called Calculus, and uh, we didn't agree, <laughs> so I had to pivot. And then the next thing that Cornell liberal arts kids do is say, well, if I'm not going to be a doctor, I'm going to be a lawyer. So that was going to be my pursuit. And then I took a class. Um, there's a school at Cornell called the Industrial Labor Relations School, um, which is basically the, the pre-law school. And I took a class in that school um, on uh, sports law and kind of had this epiphany about the opportunity to connect my passion and love for sports with a, with a career that would be rewarding and said, I'm going to be the next Jerry Maguire. That's what I want. And sort of came out of Cornell applying to law school, but trying to get some experience in sports and um, was started out and got connected to Pat Gallagher. Uh, soon after I returned from Ithaca to the Bay Area. And Pat uh, gave me the opportunity when the team was um, recently purchased by this new ownership group led by Peter McGowan to come on and, and have the uh, joy of selling uh, season and group tickets in our ticket office uh, in 1993 and uh, had some modicum of success doing that. Um, but more importantly, I learned how a sports organization was set up and that there was this really cool and interesting group that was engaged with the corporate world and said, that's for me. Uh, so one thing led to another and uh, started working for Mario Aliotto in uh, corporate marketing and have been doing that in some form or fashion uh, ever since. 
one of the areas that um, as an observer and a competitor, uh, you know, for the Giants during my age time or the Warriors, um, the level of teamwork and loyalty that the Giants exhibit in sports, I don't know if anybody's even close in terms of uh, people staying with the organization who are incredibly talented and have others coming to them like, hey, why don't you come work for us? Which brings up, how does, how does that get done on a daily basis? And now where you have a challenging world where every business uh, is trying to figure out what comes next, what are some of the programs, and you don't have to talk about anything specifically, that you're doing every day to stay close to your corporate partners, the, the challenges and the opportunities that you've developed over time, but now where everybody has a question mark. So what is the secret sauce, if there is one for the Giants and their unbelievable loyalty to employees and how you have taken that to work with your corporate partners? Well, Andy, you know, as you were asking that question, it, it sort of occurred to me that it's one and the same, um, trust and loyalty. Um, and I think it starts at the top, you know, when you talk about our executive team and the, the, the level of tenure that we have at the Giants, uh, you know, I'm, this, is, this would be my 28th season with the Giants. And that probably puts me in the top 15 of Giants executives, which is amazing when I say that out loud, how many people have 30 plus years working for the San Francisco Giants. It's pretty, pretty cool. Um, and from my perspective, um, and I can only speak for myself, but it starts with ownership and having, um, you know, a, a, a consistent and supportive ownership group um, that was led for so long by Peter McGowan and, um, and, and, and now by others, including uh, Greg Johnson and Rob Dean, who have been very supportive of the entire executive team. But then it, it, it falls on, on Larry and Larry's ability to um, keep all of us challenged, engaged, driving for new opportunities. And, um, you know, we think we do baseball and, and business around baseball well, but what Larry has done is create other opportunities and, and supported our um, ambitions to pursue other um, projects that have led a lot of us to, to, to do other things from, you know, Pat Gallagher creating Giants Enterprises and figuring out ways to do non-baseball events um, at then Pacific Bell Park to now our, um, you know, soon to be groundbreaking for Mission Rock and our real estate development across the cove from the ballpark to many other things that we've been able to accomplish as an organization. And I'm, I'm going on here, but the, the, the point being that that sort of sort of trust and loyalty has been sort of hammered into me in a way that I think that my number one goal with our partnership group is to create that same kind of trust and loyalty amongst our partners who we, you know, we, we like to say are, are part of the Giants family because they are. And with that creates a lot of longevity in those relationships. Yeah, and they see it with the Giants front office where some others 
it's literally a carousel. Like, who am I talking to? Oh, no, that person's gone. And, and that level of trust just dissipates and they go, well, sorry, you know, we're going to go do something else. As you look at the, the current world in which we live, um, as you start to have, well, you've had multiple internal conversations, but what are the two or three most important messages that you want to get out when we start to return to however we define normalcy to your fan base? What are the two messages we want to get out to our fan base? I mean, look, I think sport in general and baseball in particular, um, if there's any silver lining for us, it's people yearning for that, that level of comfort um, and the things that they remember that, give them joy and, um, and, 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 and that level of comfort, as I said. And I think baseball has jumped in many ways to the top of that list. Um, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe obviously because our season was set to start, but also because this, the baseball season is, um, is part of, the, part of the year where people look forward to and it, it sort of sets the tone for summer is coming. Um, so I would just remind people that, you know, baseball will be back and the sport will remain the same and um, we'll gather again. And, and um, you know, it's a sense of community. And we look at the ballpark as a community gathering space. And when, it, when the time is right, we'll know it. Um, and we'll open up and welcome people back. So, Jake, I know we're, uh, we're uh, heading to the ninth inning, right? We throw out all these brilliant, you know, red zone, ninth <laughs> inning, uh, final two minutes. But uh, what, how do you want to um, end this game with the Giants' victory? Well, you know, I think, Jason, you, you touched on a lot of uh, great points along the episode. And, um, you know, I, I would say if you could go back to – you know, that, that sports law class. And you think about that spark that kind of got you in the mindset of, of I want to, you know, I want to do this for a career. I want to do this for life. And now being able to look back, you know, like you were saying from, from the loyalty perspective of, of your you know, long career with the giants thus far, what's one thing that you would go back and tell yourself um, as you know, you were, you were young and, and trying to uh, get that gig with Pat Gallagher. It's a great question, Jake. You know, I, 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 I guess the, 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 the message I would give myself is relax. Like I, I, I tend to be a hard driver and I take, I take things maybe too seriously and, and, and push pretty hard. And, and I think if I, I told myself or if I knew that you do the right things, um, you treat people the right way and, 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 and good things will come. I'd, I'd, probably wouldn't have been a lot easier on myself um, if that makes any sense. Well, I, as I've known Jason for three to four months and I would, uh, <laughs> I, I would agree, but there's also, again, if you think about the giants um, and what is in their DNA, uh, you know, Jason has it along with many of the names that he mentioned because they understand that this is not quantum physics. 
this is personal relationships. Now, your personal relationships might be with 3 million people that are coming through your gate or 30 key sponsors or your broadcasters or your several hundred people that are working on an hourly basis. And that's not easily done. Uh, and many people try to copy it. I, as Jason was talking about tenure, and I don't think there's anybody else in baseball that even comes close to what the Giants have and their senior management staff. But I was, I was recollecting my good friend, Ricky Henderson uh, of the A's and Yogi Berra and Ricky um, get blamed for more um, ridiculous statements that they didn't say. But one that Ricky did say, and they were talking about tenure, and Ricky was on the A's at the time, and they were on the bus, and somebody said, you know, Ricky, are you, you know, are you concerned about your tenure with the A's? And he goes, <laughs> tenure? I've been here 11. So what's the big, what's the big deal with that? And uh, that has nothing to do with no, anything. But what a great a way to end it. That is, that is, a, that is a perfect dolishism if I've ever heard one. Ben. It's a wonderful <laughs> sport, and we appreciate you, Jason, uh, representing a quality group of people at the Giants, and uh, hopefully we'll hear play ball it's real soon. It's uh, my so privilege and an honor to be with you both. Thank you for inviting me. Um, a great way to spend my time in quarantine. <laughs>